You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I am CJ Wolf with Healthicity, and I am so excited today to have a wonderful guest, Jay Anstein, who is with us. Uh, welcome, Jay. Yeah, thank you. Um, and Jay, we always like to give our guests an opportunity to, uh, you know, introduce themselves, tell us a little bit about themselves, how you got into compliance, what you're doing, that kind of thing. We'd love for you to take a moment to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much, CJ. I, um, you know, I think like a lot, probably a lot of other healthcare compliance professionals, I kind of fell into this. Um, I'm a lawyer by training, but I always tell people don't hold it against me. I hate lawyers too. Um, I've been in healthcare for about 25 years. Uh, I started working uh, in legal uh, for a health system. I'm originally from the upper Midwest and had worked for a health system there, originally in their managed care department. Then I switched over to legal. And uh, then in 2005, I had made the shift uh, over to compliance. And I just found the work more interesting. And I've just uh, stayed here ever since. And so I have um, been on the provider and the payer side of the market. Um, I've worked for some organizations of 200,000 employees and others with 20. Um, so I feel like I got a pretty good perspective about compliance programs, having worked in that larger organization environment and then a uh, smaller organization environment. And uh, over the last 15 years or so, I've written a lot of articles and spoken at various uh, HCCA uh, events. And one of the topics that I've I've been very passionate about has been uh, kind of the soft skills related uh, type topics. So a lot of things I've written or spoken about has kind of been in that area. Uh, and I think kind of like you, I also have a passion uh, for education. And so I've been teaching a healthcare compliance uh, related course online with the University of Southern California's Gould School of Law. Cool. You are yes. busy. Yes, busy. <laughs> <laughs> but we we really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. I'm glad you kind of uh, introduced kind of this soft skills topic a little bit because uh, Jay has written a uh, amazing book, uh, Navigating the Politics of Healthcare. And we wanted to ask him a little bit about, about that. I think as compliance officers, we've all had to deal with that, right? It's a very... Mm -hmm. um, political landscape, if you will. Um, you know, there's some black and white to compliance, right? We, you know, mm -hmm. the line is here and we know yes and no, but then there's a lot of gray. And yeah. then you have to kind of deal with the gray personalities and, or the grayness in personalities, right? And yeah. you got some people who are a little bit more comfortable with being a little more aggressive and some people who mm -hmm. want to be more conservative and all this kind of stuff. So I think this uh, book is a, is a great uh, opportunity to kind of talk about that. Mm -hmm. What would you, before we kind of get into some specific questions, what would you say in general about the book? I mean, what, what caused you to write it? Why, you know, what, what's the drive behind it? Oh, sure. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So as background, I mean, since I'd been in college, I'd always wanted to write a book. It was sort of a, a bucket list item for me. 
And but I'd struggle with you know trying to figure out what types of topics to cover, fiction or nonfiction, that kind of thing. Uh, and then I think, you know, about, like I said, 10, 15 years ago, I started writing articles, speaking at HCCA events. I kind of did a string for a few years at the Compliance Institute and spoke on, um, you know, building strong relationships with leaders and some communication, professional communication type strategies. And what I was finding was a lot of chief compliance officers coming up to me afterwards saying, hey, this is great stuff. Our newer folks really need to hear this. I'm so glad that you uh, were here to present on that. And I think a light bulb just kind of went off, you know, on the flight home. Hey, I might have a book here. And I really had at that point kind of three or four chapters already sort of mapped out. And so um, that's just sort of where the idea came from. And these were topics I always enjoyed talking about just because it almost seemed as if I was having a conversation with somebody. And that's really kind of the approach that I took with the book was it to be sort of a conversation. And it's really targeted at the the newer compliance folks just starting out. And uh, as I was writing it, the thought that was always sort of ever present in my mind was, okay, if I'm just starting out in this profession, what would I want to know? And I felt like there's a lot of information out there about the seven elements and Stark and Amtala and HIPAA and all the other regulations and things like that. But some of this kind of gray area or, you know, interactions, communication, things like that, that's happening every day all across the country with compliance officers wasn't really written about much. And so that is sort of where I felt like there might be a need there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, it's one thing to kind of teach people, you know, these are the nuts and bolts about these laws and regs, but then, you know, now here's how you try to implement it at your organization, right? It, yeah. yeah. The approach could be completely different depending on the people, right? And even Correct. at the same organization, leadership changes over time. So, yeah. yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, when, when you and I were communicating, I thought, man, this is this is a great topic, uh, something that I wish I had been better at 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're like you yeah. learn the hard way, right? Yeah, um, it, you're always improving. That's for sure. Yeah. And so to have somebody write about it in a thoughtful way, you know, to your point of trying to help people like from the beginning, don't make the mistakes that we made. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of want to start by talking about one of the chapters deals with um, using diplomacy to influence behavior. Yes. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, as I've noticed, and a lot of our listeners have probably noticed, you've written a lot for HCCA, social media, uh, and in the book about taking this diplomatic approach to compliance. With that in mind, what are some ways you think a compliance officer can diplomatically communicate with others in the organization? Yeah, so a couple of thoughts. You know, I mean, one at sort of the outset is, and I always sort of joke about this with people, is we've got perception issues in compliance. Um, I mean, just hearing the term compliance officer, or if you call somebody or set up a meeting to talk, I mean, before you even have a chance to utter your first word, there's always going to be some type of negative impression of who you are or what you're there to right. talk about. And, <laughs> and so, so you have to overcome that, which I think is where a lot of this diplomacy comes in. Uh, is trying to get over that hurdle of the of the perception that we've got. And so in my experience, there's been a few things that I've done that, that has helped over the years. Um, you know, the first is, you know, just knowing your audience um, and, and how you do that is just make sure that whatever you're talking about, you know, whether it's doing education and training, conducting an audit, conducting investigation or something like that, that when you're communicating compliance concepts, 
uh, that you're doing so so that you're tailoring it to that particular audience. Uh, and so, uh, you know, for example, one, you know, just with you as a physician, this might resonate, but, you know, if you're talking about HIPAA, for example, um, you know, one you might cover with a physician is those scenarios where a physician walks into a patient's room to discuss a treatment plan or something like that with the patient, and you've got three or four other people in the room that the physician doesn't know, and having to make sure that you're doing that vetting process to make sure that the patient's okay um, with those people to stay in the room if you're going to have that discussion or, or take other precautions to safeguard the information. So, like, as one example, you know, I would use that if I was talking to physicians about some type of HIPAA-related concept with PHI. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a great example. Um, you know, and I, when as you were sharing that, I thought, oh, you know, like when I have to go talk to the CFO, I have to brush up on my CFO language. I'm yes. more of a, I'm more of a clinician by background, so that does, yeah. that talk doesn't come natural to me. Yeah. So I have to refresh my memory. What does the CFO care about? What you know? What is he? Does he or she uh, find important? And how can I infuse that into my compliance message? And that can vary, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit on a good point because it, I think it is helpful. And something I've done throughout my career is always just making sure you understand the operations or you understand the world in which that person lives that you're talking to. And so, yeah, making sure that you do understand if you're talking to a CFO, some of the financial aspects or what point of view a CFO might have if they're going to go into a discussion about a compliance related matter. And that was going to vary as opposed to uh, maybe a department director uh, that's over the ED or rehab right. or something like that. Exactly. Well, any other tips that you, you think are important on that, about that? Yeah, I think, you know, well, one other with the audience is, uh, you know, just making sure you're really clear that you've identified who that audience is. And sometimes you've got a primary audience and a secondary audience or, um, you know, just making sure you've, you're clear about who the audience is. And so, you know, for example, if, if uh, I just used the ED earlier, so ED director comes and says, hey, uh, we need to have you come and do a refresher training on EMTALA for a clinical staff. Um, you know, would you be able to do that? And so I might pause at that point and just make sure I clear with that director. OK, well, who exactly are we talking about for clinical staff? Is that nursing staff? Is that physicians? Is that on-call physicians? You know, what? who exactly is the audience so that I can make sure that I've got examples that are going to be prepared for that particular audience? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, one other one is, uh, you know, just exercising self-control, I think, along the diplomacy side. Uh, so sometimes you'll run into a situation, this always comes up, where you're sitting in a meeting and somebody blurt, you know, they're discussing or updating the group on some type of initiative within the organization, and they blurt something out that raises a potential compliance concern or, or it might within the compliance officer's head. And so then you kind of have to determine, okay, do I say something now or do I say something later? And yeah. when is the most appropriate time to do so. And and so I I always have this sort of checklist in my head of kind of three questions that I run through to determine whether to exercise that self-control. And, you know, does it need to be said is the first question I run through. The second one is, does it need to be said by me? And then the right. third one is, does it need to be said now? And right. oftentimes it's it's that third one is where you kind of get hung up because it might be a situation where you don't have all the facts, you need to get more facts, and you're not really 100% sure that this is an issue or isn't an issue. If it is an issue, what type of risk are we talking about? So it may be best just to take that discussion offline, talk to the right individuals that you need to to gather your information, and then go from there. And if you have to communicate uh, uh, 
conclusion back to the group, then you can do so whatever manner is appropriate. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. Uh, you know, I've, I've, um, I wish I would have known those three questions. I think I learned them as, as I went along. Uh, yeah. That last one, does it have to be addressed now? That's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. Cool. A anything else on, on that that you want to discuss? Oh, um, you know, one other one, and I actually had just uh, had written something about this not too long ago just for an article, is just about jumping to conclusions. And I was uh, talking about the <laughs> sort of referencing the Ted Lasso series. And there's an episode in there where somebody had, had told Ted he needs to find out before he flips out. Uh, <laughs> and I sort of equate that to jumping to conclusions. And so you just want to make sure as you're communicating about compliance matters that you're not jumping to conclusions that you do. You have gathered all your facts. Uh, you've asked yourself, you know, if you are making an assumption, is this what information is this based off of? Is this based off fact or is this based off opinion? Uh, that kind of thing, because I think it's important because if you jump to conclusions, you know, a couple of problems can arise. One is you may create confusion if you now have to go back and circle back to whoever you're communicating with and then now convey a, a different conclusion. Um, you know, the other is uh, sort of the shouting fire in a crowded theater effect, where if you jump to conclusions or erroneously and you're wrong, uh, now you exactly. potentially unnecessarily alarmed others. And, and so then you have to manage that. So I think that's where it's key to, to really work on not jumping to conclusions. That's a great one. Yeah. And I, I find it interesting. You mentioned Ted Lasso. He might make a good diplomatic compliance officer. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> so. there's definitely a lot of life lessons, uh, I think to be learned from that show and a lot of carryover to compliance. I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is awesome. We're going to take a quick break um, and then uh, we'll be right back. If you are listening to this podcast, chances are you need content to help advance your career in compliance. You need great information and CEUs to keep your certifications. We're here to help. Healthicity offers webinars on tons of topics designed to inform and educate while keeping it interesting. And most of our webinars will earn you 1.2 CEUs. We know you're busy. That's why our webinars work with your schedule. You can attend live or watch on demand. Grab a cup of coffee, a snack, whatever you need. Settle in and check out all our webinars at healthicity.com resources. Now let's hear the rest of this episode of Compliance Conversations. Welcome back, everybody. I am talking to Jay Anstein about his book and diplomacy. One of the, some of the uh, topics and, and important things that you've included have to do with uh, diplomacy and, and, and how to you know, work with others in that healthcare setting. So we, we, you kind of gave us a nice kind of overview um, let's get a little bit more specific and talk about maybe those in leadership positions, like maybe it's a CEO, a CFO, maybe it's even somebody on the board. You know, are there any specific approaches you feel a compliance officer should take to diplomatically speak or communicate with them? You know, something that we might not have already covered. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think there there are some specific approaches for that particular type of group. Um I think, you know, a couple things come to mind. The first is, you know, just consider, again, back to what I was saying earlier, who your audience is and making sure that you really have, have identified very clearly who that audience is. 
uh, any characteristics around that audience. And so when you're talking about healthcare leaders, at least in my experience, you know, a couple things to keep in mind is first, they're they're highly educated. They've been trained to be very analytical uh, with their decisions. And when it comes to healthcare leaders, a lot of them function in that sort of group think model, where if uh, a CEO is planning to or, or trying to make a decision as to whether or not to open up a new service line within a hospital, we'll say, for example, um, he or she might pull together a group that might include the CFO and the CNO and, and the CMO, the physician side, um, as well as various department directors, and gather all that information, all that input, all that data to help he or she in making a decision. And so I think when you combine those characteristics specific to that group, um, you really need to pay attention to to that whoever the particular healthcare leader is and what their specific point of view is. And in the book, I'd include a couple chapters uh, about how to think like a healthcare leader. And it really sort of draws out and identifies the things that shape a CFO's perspective versus a CEO's perspective versus legal counsel's perspective and things like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then I think even within um, like the CEO, there's different like leadership styles. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some CEOs that, you know, want to be very authoritative, you know, uh, and make the decision themselves quickly, right? Like that's how yeah. they got where they are. They just are like, oh, I'm making a decision. We're moving forward uh, yes. versus like what you said with the group think. And, and I've, I've seen both, right? Like I, and both can be successful and have plus and minuses. Um, but I think that's important to notice like the style for that particular person as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and that was something I had commented on was uh, sort of that mirroring the communication style, too. And, you know, um, some like to communicate via email, some like to do it in person, some like to do it uh, via phone, that kind of thing. And so um, it applies to communication, but then probably other areas, too, where you really, again, want to make sure you know your audience and how they think, how they operate. Um, and I think that's where you know, getting to know your leaders, building good, strong relationships with them will help because you start to identify, uh, you know, very quickly how they think and how they function. And then you can tailor it to that. Yeah. You know, and I know, I think you wrote about this as well, kind of, um, and, and some leaders really uh, appreciate this. You know, if you're going to bring a problem, bring some proposed solutions. I <laughs> yeah. I once, um, so for those that are, have a nursing background, you may have heard of an SBAR, S-B-A-R. Yes. It's used now outside of nursing, all sorts of ways to communicate succinctly. It stands for situation. You give a brief sentence of what the situation is. Background, that might be a little longer, but you still try to keep it brief. Your assessment and then recommendations, right? It's like, okay, on the we could ignore it. That's one extreme. We could do this other extreme, and then we could do these four or five things in between. Um, and I know you wrote a little bit about that, bringing a solution. Any thought, additional thoughts on that? Yeah, because I, you know, and part of the reason I put that in there was because, again, it's sort of thinking back to when I started out or folks I've interacted with that have been newer compliance officers, you know, and I'll find out their their instincts are great. They're great at spotting issues. They're great at bringing problems, but then they'll just stop there and they won't carry it forward to that second step, which is trying to identify a potential solution. And I think um, depending upon your audience, whether it's a supervisor that you're interacting with, your own supervisor, or whether it's a healthcare leader, I think there is some benefits uh, to, to taking the sort of two-step approach. And so with uh, a healthcare leader, um, if you're going to 
you know, bring a bring a problem and then bring a proposed solution with you. I think what it does is it helps them feel at ease that there is a path forward to resolving the issue. And I, I don't know about you, CJ, but I know when it comes to healthcare leaders, they don't like surprises. Um, yeah, exactly. There's uncertainty, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And so I think that helps because at least you can communicate in a package, okay, here is the problem we've got, and this is how we're going to get out of it. And I think that helps very quickly uh, restore them back to a sense of, of certainty that uh, yeah. that helps. No, that's, that's a great point. You know, and hopefully you never have to, you know, kind of go over a leader's head. But mm-hmm. it, there are times when I've observed it, it, it's best to, I mean, you're not, you're not doing it secretly. You're, you know, yeah. you might just have an honest disagreement with the CEO on this compliance issue, but you also might have a reporting relationship to the board. I think, yeah. you know, just being yeah. upfront and being like, you know, yes, yeah, I, you know, this is how I see it. I, I feel like I need to report it to the board. I'm going to be reporting it to the board, you know, yeah. I, that can be tough as well. <laughs> oh, because oh that's... yeah, yeah, and you're right. I mean, the transparency is is definitely key with that, and and, and I think you know the other thing too is it can, can run the other way too, where you talk about the reporting relationship is it's something else to keep in mind with your audience is okay. Well, if I tell this CEO this particular issue or whatever, um, or department, let's say department, if I tell this department director some particular type of problem, they're going to have a reporting relationship to their senior leader, whoever that is. Right. Um, so being mindful that, that once I tell this person, there is an obligation to report that. And then kind of having that discussion, is this something you want to tell the senior leader? Or do you want me to tell the senior leader? Or how would you like to approach that? So I think just overall being very transparent about those reporting relationships definitely helps as you're talking through things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of come from the clinical background and, and, uh, on the first day of medical school, we, we always joke. It's like, you can tell you meet your classmates. You can tell, Oh, that guy's going to be a surgeon. Uh, <laughs> she's going to be a psychiatrist. That person's going to be an OB because these personalities tend to drive people to these specialties. I yeah. hate to be like, so, uh, you know, generalizing and, but it, it's so true in so many cases. And so physicians are a unique breed. Yes. So, Yes. I wanted to ask you, and that's kind of a unique thing in healthcare. I, I also did a lot of compliance in higher ed where, you know, researchers are kind of a unique breed too, and you want them to be, right? They're breaking mm-hmm. through science and you want them yeah. to be a little cavalier. You don't want them to be cavalier with compliance, mm-hmm. but maybe with, you know, push the boundaries of science. And so you have some strong personalities. Do, do yeah. you have suggestions on uh, what you've learned and from yourself and others about communicating with physicians. Oh yeah, yes, definitely. I've uh, definitely interacted with a lot of physicians over the years. Um, some some discussions went better than others, uh, yeah. and <laughs> some of that I kind of point out in the book. I mean, there's a lot of sort of situational examples I, I bring up, and a lot of it was sort of like you'd said earlier, kind of lessons learned and trying to help people avoid the same mistakes that I made when I started out, but. Um, you know, so back to what I was saying earlier about knowing your audience, that still applies here on the physician side. It's just, you know, making sure you understand that that type of perspective. And it's going to vary quite a bit from the healthcare leader side. And I think really overall, the biggest difference, at least in my experience, when it comes to communicating with physicians versus healthcare leaders is taking into account that, you know, unlike healthcare leaders, who are you know, largely going to operate on that groupthink model, physicians are trained and, and help me, CJ, 
keep me honest here if I'm off on this, but in my experience, they're trained to be autonomous decision makers yeah, and they operate very differently. And so you need to account for that. And I think the best way to do that is to make sure that you get their engagement as you're working through whatever type of solution you're needing to work through with them. I think that's a good kind of overall statement. You know, again, there's always exceptions, but in general, they are kind of trained to be autonomous decision making. I think it may have changed a little bit over the last few years where the younger physicians are kind of seeing, I think there's a little bit more training on kind of this, um, you know, team approach. Yeah. Um, interdisciplinary approach and things. And, but yeah, overall, I think you're right. And, um, and the other thing I've learned, tell me if you feel the same way, they're pretty straightforward. Like they want to know the reason why. So mm-hmm. yes. um, like, for example, I would do conflict of interest type of uh, work and they really were not interested to hear that it's because there's a policy. But I had articles, journal articles in the medical literature that demonstrated, you know, because they're research minded, data, data driven. There was research studies that showed that even physicians who were receiving small tokens like a pen or a coffee mug, it actually changed their prescribing patterns on certain Mm -hmm. medications. So I would approach them a little bit differently. Yes, I have to say there's a policy, but. I try to dig deeper to the heart of what they are about, which is, you know, data. And, oh, yeah, this was published in JAMA. JAMA is a pretty reputable journal. And, oh, I see. Yeah, okay. I can see why conflict of interest is an important topic. That doesn't work for everybody, but it did work for some that that I struggled with. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Um, that's been my experience too, is, is the data driven piece I think is huge. Anytime you can leverage that and, and provide that background as to why, um, the answer is whatever the answer is, um, or, you know, do that, but also try and see if you can find a solution that's going to work for them. And I think that's where getting their input and engagement about, okay, Hey, this is what the regulation says we need to do you know, how are we going to work? How are we going to move forward to try and make this work for everybody? And I always kind of joke with people too, that it's, you really want to make sure you get the input from the person that has to live under the rules, not as the person who's enforcing them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you want to find a solution that's going to work. Yeah. I always struggled too with, so I was involved in coding and billing and educating physicians quite a bit. And that one was just always such a struggle for them. It still is. And they just don't understand it. They're like, just let me be the doctor and let me, and, but you know, it's the world we live in. And so sometimes I just have to say, I'm sorry, I didn't write these rules. I don't, you know, I don't stay up on the weekends to see how can I ruin Dr. So-and-so's life. Um, I'm just trying to help you through this. This is the reality of the risks. And this is what the institution has decided. And this is kind of where we're going. And, you know, there's physician yeah. representation on our committee and this and that. And so you, you you try to involve them, I think, is a good way, like you said. But sometimes you just have mm-hmm. to say, this is life. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, I, I agree. I agree. Um, you also mentioned in the book kind of leveraging physician champions. I have found mm-hmm. that really successful. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. It's It has always been helpful to me. And I think, um, you know, maybe that's not available in every healthcare provider setting, but I know at least speaking in the health system hospital type world, there's there's often a lot of different types of physician champions that you can leverage, whether it's a medical director or a member of the medical executive committee uh, or another type of physician liaison type role, uh, chief medical officer, might be right. another example. But um, yeah, in my experience, 
there is some collegiality, <laughs> for lack of a better term, with right. physicians. And I think the message gets responded to much more positively when you've got a physician behind it uh, trying to convey that message. So there's it's just when you've got that physician to physician communication, uh, the results tend to be a lot better than when you don't. Yeah. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. You know, it's not always easy to easy to find those physician champions, and sometimes they're not in a certain department. Or, but you do your best. One one way that we tried to also address it is make sure we included physician leadership on committees, compliance committees, research committees, um, so that yeah. you know they they could hear the background discussions, especially when we're doing policies and you know why are we changing yeah. this policy all of a sudden and. Um, yeah, the more involved they are, the better, I think. Yeah. And they're a great sounding board, too, because if you've got an issue that you need to get corrected, um, you know, like you'd use the you know, billing and coding examples or something. It's great to run. Hey, this is what we need to address with this particular physician. And then you can get that physician champion's perspective on it as how this physician might react to it, um, you know, because obviously they're going to have the same concerns about making sure that safe care is being provided to the patient and uh, you're taking the patient's uh, interest into account and things like that. And so yeah. I think they can be a great sounding board too, uh, to help you either revise or tweak, you know, whatever the, the ultimate resolution is going to be. Yeah. Well, this, that's, I think that's spot on. And, and Jay, we're getting a little bit close to the end of our time, but I, I want to give you some more time to you know, if you have any last minute thoughts, maybe even, you know, I know we focused kind of on this this one chapter that dealt with diplomacy, but maybe you tell us a little bit more about some other highlights in the book, you know, where you can get it, uh, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a couple, a couple of the other chapters, there's, like I said, there's a couple that are, that address thinking like a healthcare leader, uh, which is again, various different healthcare leaders and their, their mindsets and how you can position compliance to appeal to those particular um, types of healthcare leaders. And uh, there's a couple other chapters on some different communication strategies for professionalism uh, that can help. And then uh, um, I've got one on uh, what I call common political battles, <laughs> which ah. is sort of like one example is 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 staying in your I'll kind of say is like stay, staying in your lane. Yeah, uh, I know this comes up a lot where you have compliance officers that you know healthcare leaders get confused between compliance and risk and legal yeah. and yeah. regulatory yeah. and who has responsibly for what type of role. And so there's there's some of those political battles I kind of highlight and, and some ways that you can overcome those. That is such a great, that's a great chapter there. Um, because yeah, staying in your lane, because you're right, they, uh, you know, if you're not dealing with this kind of stuff day in and day out as your profession, mm -hmm. you know, you're taking care of patients, you just kind of see all of them as administrators. Legal, yeah. compliance, audit, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and be sensitive to that, too, with your audience. This is, I think, another kind of common theme I had in the book, too, is about, you know, with healthcare leaders and physicians, I mean, they're not as close to the compliance rules and the regulations as you are. So you need to make sure and bridge that. There's a knowledge gap there and just make sure right. that you're bridging that and that you're sensitive to it and giving a lot of grace there, that they're just not going to understand the stuff as well as you do. And so you may, there's some areas where you may have to hold their hand a little bit. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Any any last minute thoughts that you'd like to share? I think I think you've done a great job summing up the book. Where can people get it? Oh, um, yeah. So it's available at on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and other major book retailers. Cool. And I and I know I think I've seen you, you know, share links and stuff on LinkedIn. And um, mm -hmm. it, I'm sure you'll be willing to share some links uh, for the show notes that we can put in there as well. If people have interest there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jay, thank you so much for your time and sharing some of uh, the thoughts that you've uh, uh, written down um, to share with all of us. Appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you to all of our listeners for listening uh, again. Uh, as always, we we love to hear your feedback. If you have suggestions for speakers or topics, things that we haven't covered, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and please share the the podcast with your with your friends and colleagues. Uh, until next time, have a great day, everyone. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthcity.com.